everybody and welcome to the Healthy Dog Pod. It's uh, Ian and Sophie as always and we've got a very special guest today, Dr. Matt Muir. He's an integrative veterinarian from All Natural Vet Care. Um, why don't you uh, tell us a little about, a bit about yourself, Matt? Great, thanks Ian. Yeah, um, as Ian said, I'm an integrative or holistic vet. Um, so yeah, I work at All Natural Vet Care. I definitely work with uh, a lot more nutritional counselling, herbs, um, and other modalities as well as conventional medicine. So, yeah, mostly focused on trying to get to the root cause of pets' problems um, and, and, you know, educating people on, on how better to care for their pets. Fantastic. And I um, understand you've got a couple of, like, key things that you practice all the time that we're going to be talking about today. Yep. Um, let's just uh, give us an overview of what, what it is we're going to be going through. Yeah, so I really um, wanted to take the opportunity to, you know, introduce people to the concept of the gut-brain axes um, or the gut-brain-skin axes because I do believe that this is, you know, an emerging area, particularly within the research, but an emerging area where people can really elevate their pet's health um, by putting more focus on um, the health of the gut uh, and how that uh, helps, particularly with physical problems obviously but more what i wanted to talk about today was the mental problems associated with having um uh, problems with the digestive tract yeah yeah and i think uh i mean i've worked with you on a number of cases now and a lot of it um a lot of what I, what i can see is while you're obviously very good at reacting to triggers and re- uh, recognizing symptoms a lot of your care is preventative care as well and um really trying to make sure that animals in the best uh f- like best possible health to uh, overall gut health, like you say, relating so well to everything else in the body and the mind and really getting on top of that um, from an overall perspective. That's something I've always really, really admired the way you work with that. Well, yeah, thanks. I guess the the main thing with um, animal health and particularly trying to empower pet guardians is that, you know, over a lifetime, there are going to be health challenges um, mentally and physically, just the same as uh, with humans. Uh, so I think it's quite important uh, nowadays to sort of shift our focus a little bit to be thinking about, okay, how can we make our pets more resilient? Um, so that both mentally and physically, so that if there is a little hiccup with their health, that it can actually be, um, you know, uh, not as uh, not such a big impact on the pet's body, um, and that they have, you know, the immune system to back them up, and you know, reserves in, you know, more vitamin B12 that they might need if they're going through a stressful situation, which is, you know, certainly what you know, naturopathic medicine in in humans is looking yeah. looking at for sure. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, Thanks. I think. Um it's very underestimated in the pet world about gut health and food health and looking after your pet in that way. It's always just give them the kibble and they'll be right sort of thing, Mm. which you are making people realize that there's so much more to that than just feeding kibble and they're on their way. Yeah. I mean, with regards to the kibble thing, I mean, there's, there's certainly an emerging evidence um, body that, that suggests that, 
improving um, uh, the bioavailable nutrients in the body can make a difference. I mean, there's studies that um, talk about uh, the fact that dogs that are fed a inverted commas premium quality diet versus a basic diet, um, you know, which is it normally has increased levels of healthy fats, increased levels of animal protein, um, that they actually score better on a lot of fearfulness and even aggressive based um, uh, factors in, in research. Um, and I think that certainly that echoes what myself um i've been you know working before during and after transition from dogs uh, from a a more uh, highly processed uh, dry or or can based diet um more to a a natural feeding um diet and and certainly what uh has been echoed back by parents to me is and certainly to i guess other vets in the holistic uh, sphere is that um most people look at their pets and say like they're karma um, they, they seem, and this is obviously, you know, just a gut feeling, um, mind the pun, um, that, um, uh, that, you know, people sense that their pets are just have a bit more clarity and clearer mind when they're, when they're on, um, a more, uh, more natural diet. And normally that entails, um, more like high bio- biological grade protein. So certainly meat proteins, um, tend to be, um, what, uh, what uh, seems to help, um, and, uh, or and also increased uh, omega-3 fats um, and usually uh, a lot less carbs um, dogs do have quite a lot of metabolic uh, flexibility um, is the technical term um, to cope say, what, with, what's that? <laughs> dogs are able to cope with a lot of foods i mean you know they were pretty smart um, in that you know they were the only wild animal, I guess, like when they were wolves that sort of looked at humans and thought, well, those humans are onto something. Uh, if I, if I like stay around this campsite for long enough or this cave, you know, I'm going to get whatever food they're eating. And, and so over time they have developed more flexibility in being able to eat what, you know, they're being given. Um, but that's only gone so far, um, you know, and, um, and high carbs is, is in my opinion, the, the biggest problem, um, uh, with pets and with that um what what i think we see uh is probably um you know what uh, what um, parents would describe as like a sugar rush in their in children, children yeah with um high carb diets i think a lot of your clients as well are actually really well educated on um what uh, a happy and calm dog looks like i think there mm-hmm. is a big um concept out there that the hyper arousal is normal in dogs yes because we see it so much um it's been normalized and when they're sitting down with you and they actually point out these things my dog's calmer and more settled that's because as well you've done a really good job in my opinion of educating them that this is not normal this hyper arousal this this isn't energetic this is uncomfortable yeah thank you well uh, yeah, I mean, it's the it's the sign of the times. I mean, we live in you know uh, inf- an information age now, um, and you know uh, recently, what we'd find is um, you know people can see the difference with things, uh, particularly with um, people becoming more, I guess, psychoeducated about their pets' um, mental health. Um, in the same way that you know a lot of um, families that use our clinic uh, might be told by people at the dog park that their dogs are too skinny but uh, you know I keep reinforcing that no we're actually looking at a population of dogs that are obese um, and that isn't normal it is normal statistically but it's not uh, optimal um, and I think the same now is being sort of seen with regards to you know what is really an anxiety crisis for pets and, mm-hmm. and hyper arousal and reactivity uh, unfortunately at the moment is the norm yeah 
and then we see it all the time working yeah. with our job and i think the 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 more uh vets and can actually look into this as well and actually be aware of it um and look at this i, I think this topic today of the the relationship between the gut and the brain axis is is a really big step in the right direction um give us a bit more information as to how it actually um you know impacts it then so what what sort of things can we do and what what sort of improvements can we see well you know first i'd like to say that there is definitely more research that's needed in this field um but with the preliminary you know uh, evidence that's emerging i mean there's a few sort of quite well established things for example um omega-3 uh, particularly the essential fatty acid uh, dha um, which most is commonly is found in marine um, oils like fish oil um, it's recognized um, to have an impact on behavior in multiple ways one and the, the reason you know that i i use um, omega-3 um, supplementation beyond the sort of accepted uh, minimum requirements for a complete and balanced diet um, is that it, it increases, well, firstly, it protects the, um, the brain cells from damage. Um, it is what we call cytoprotective. And that damage, um, you know, one of the things that damages the brain of a pet is, is stress and hyperarousal is hyperarousal and thinking too much is, um, is actually toxic to brain cells. Fortunately, with the, again, newly emerging concept of neuroplasticity, um, you know, the brain cells are able to repair and grow and, um, and re relearn how to, to function. Um, and so the other great thing about fish oil is that it does allow um, the learning process, like there's studies that both for um, elderly dogs with cognitive decline and with puppies that increasing their omega-3 actually can improve their learning process and particularly with behavioral modification obviously what we're trying to achieve is to for for dogs to um, and all pets to learn how to um, better cope with their environment um, uh, through behavioral uh, modification um, unlike most other fats is actually protective to the pancreas um, when dosed correctly and building up to the right dose so you know the the main adage with um, vets uh, with behavioral problems tends to be ruling out physical problems before labeling it a mental health disorder and i think that that area is really what i want to talk about is that I don't think it's so clear-cut to, you know, it's definitely not clear-cut. I mean, the research is showing this. Um, you know, there's a, a new study from 2019 that actually showed that um, in, a, a sub in a population of dogs that um, dogs that had increased aggress aggression scores had lower um, microbiome or gut bacteria um, population diversity. So dogs with really um, basic gut microbiomes, not enough bacteria, um, are more aggressive so you know it's, it's yeah. starting wow. to be linked um, and with that what I think is you know if I I'd encourage other um, vets and pet guardians to go beyond the okay they've been checked and there's no obvious physical problems or they have physical problems but they're not related to behavior like the dog's got <laughs> IBD or IBS like yeah. syndrome 
or uh, canine atopic dermatitis and but yet you know that's all isolated from the anxiety that the dog has i'd you, encourage you just saying that sentence out loud oh yeah it's got it's got physical beh- problems but it's not related to behavior we just laughed we couldn't mean to yeah, I know. But <laughs> like, it just, of course yeah. it is yes <laughs> yes but the problem with um with medicine is that some like you know um Yes, I mean, it, it is, but there's also um, the problem of subjective bias and the fact that, you know, more science is often needed to really be sure about this. Um, and, you know, that takes time and it takes energy for people to actually conduct this research. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. I think that it to me it's a no-brainer. It, resonates, it probably resonates with a lot of the listeners um, that, you know, they're linked. And, and, and the great thing is that there's more research that's proving this now. Um, and so what I'd say, getting back, I've been on a tangent, getting back to fish <laughs> oil, um, <laughs> fish oil, you know, um, I don't care if uh, I, like I'm wrong in, you know, thinking that, all right, maybe there isn't mild hip dysplasia that's, or, you know, myofascial pain in the back that's causing um, an increased arousal or contributing to the stress levels of the dog. I'll just put them on fish oil and, you know, it's osteoarthritic, um, you know, it helps with its anti-inflammatory. So if I've got it wrong um, and I've, you know, cleared a pet of having a medical health problem, um, uh, I would still assume that uh, my, you know, diagnostic skills as a human being have at their limits. Um, and why not, um, you know, think, all right, well, uh, it clearly has, you know, behavioral problems um once we've ruled out that it's not um problem behaviors and that it's behavioral problems um why not use fish oil for example um there's plenty of other options that might work better in the individual pet but why not use something that whilst uh, it's going to protect the brain from the current stress while we try and um, alleviate that and re-educate the pet that it's okay um that uh well that their life's okay um and they're safe um that we use something that might help stabilize the gut and have some anti uh, arthritic or anti-inflammatory potential it's win-win the, yeah. there's literally no drawbacks no no and um you know and that the the side effects of that are all building on just the overall health of the dog it, it's mm-hmm. it really is just okay so say the gut is influencing the stress levels of the dog say the pain is influencing the stress of the dog that that sort of thing without actually being too invasive at all in a negative way there's brought around nothing but positives mm. and even mm. if it like it it's pretty do no harm with regards to like the hippocratic oath i guess um you know fish oil unless they get mild um gastrointestinal upset from it um which is uh, manageable it's a you know manageable risk uh, when it comes to looking at a risk benefit you can build the tolerance up gradually and yeah yeah so yep. with fish oil um do you have like a, a powder that you recommend or like sardines or like salmon or like what do you recommend sort of feeding that's a massive topic in its oh, own okay. right with regards to which <laughs> fish oil we recommend certainly um you know fish oil is a is a recommendation for now um, based yeah. on risk benefit. Um, you know, we talk in terms of looking at, um, you know, other sources of polyunsaturated fatty acids, um, particularly DHA. Mm-hmm. Um, marine oils tend to be the best. At the moment, I'm looking at um, doing a bit more research into the use of calamari oil. Um, it's okay. more sustainable and, and um, probably uh, at less risk of um, heavy uh, metal and um, uh, pollution-based um, toxic buildup in fish oil. Fish oil is a difficult um, one to navigate, but there's certainly good PCP, dioxin, mercury-free tested fish oil on the market. Um, there are some concerns about... Um, the fish oil is becoming rancid um, and oh, wow. 
and uh, not being great for the body if they're not stored and used correctly. Um, but yeah, there's plenty of ones on the market. There's, there's veterinary ones and, and then human ones to choose from. Um, krill oil is also used um, and then some of the plant-based um, oils uh, have a place, I guess, uh, but it, it's certainly an area that's um, best um, looked at um, with, with uh, generally uh, having a vet on board to help navigate that process. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I know that Django, my little boy, he's uh, he's improved heaps. Like just with um, obviously, I mean, it's more than one factor. There's always more than one factor. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's always that's about so perfect balance. Too. Yeah, that's the th- that's the thing with particularly with holistic medicine um, and just health in general. Like there's. Uh, you have to find um, keys to multiple locks, like the right keys to multiple locks. And, you know, I I sort of liken it to, you know, uh, cooking or... Um, or also some like like I often think about it like DJing where you know it, this is the perfect a, mix. I'm a DJ. So <laughs> <laughs> <I> really, <am. laughs> um, yeah. So it's, it's uh, like you know transitioning two, two tracks together like that's just it's like hard. little changes and <laughs> yeah. and little changes and and checking what's working. Um, you know, getting the feedback. It's I think it's really similar, particularly and say like a diet transition. That's I think of it like successfully mixing two tracks together. That, that's so um, good. I love that. You have that. to do little changes here and there. Um, and check that it's working and, and then, you know, go for it and, and um, build on the strengths of what, what you're doing with medicine. Yeah, that's a really cool one. I love that, at. yeah, because it's really hard. I'm telling you right now, it's actually <laughs> difficult. Oh, I can't do it. I know that yeah. much. <laughs> Ian's tried and no, Failed. it didn't Miserably. work. <laughs> <laughs> Small audience. Um, so I'd love to learn more about um, how it, uh, the diet impacts the gut and the, uh, that relationship between the gut and the brain. Um, sure. Um, yeah, so we've talked about fish oil, um, you know, another part of the, and I touched on the fact that n- new studies are showing that a um, inappropriate um, diversity of population of the gut bacteria can um, uh, have effects mentally. Um, obviously, the brain's like well-established. Um, we won't talk about the fact that the brain's established to have something to do with emotion, but I guess what um, uh, is starting to filter through to veterinary medicine, but certainly been around for a little bit in human medicine is um, gut-associated psychology um, and, you know, the smart guts kind of movement and mood food and um, diff- uh, eating for um, to improve mood. And you know where this where this really has this interplay um, is the fact that the there's actually brain tissue within the the gut um, uh, in in humans, and I oh, think gosh. it is the same in dogs. The, the look on my and Sophie's face I right now. I was just like, what? So part there's, there's actually brain tissue, um, and I think Dr. Michael Mosey, Mosey um, who did the five two diet and smart guts, he talks a lot about this concept is. Um, the brain gets a lot of neurotransmitter and hormonal communication from the gut bacteria. So the, the gut microbiome, which is huge, like it's so pr- proportionally is huge compared to the, the amount of cells in our body, are constantly talking to our brain and sending signals. Um, and one of the big signals is serotonin, um, you know, uh, and other neurotransmitters that are being... Um, help to be manufactured in the gut um, by gut bacteria. Gut bacteria also produce um, a lot of B vitamin, vitamin K, um, and help, uh, you know, digest food to produce different um, essential fatty acids and, or volatile acids, sorry, um, a lot of gases that, you know, help um, the body function. Um, so what we're seeing is that emotion is, is coming from the gut. 
Um, and if we, you know, rewind a little bit and, and look at, um, and this is something that we, we find with traditional medicine is when you start looking at things like old wives' tales and, and language, um, hot-headedness, um, gut feelings, things like this it's actually there's clues in our um our language about this stuff um so we're just kind of going full circle and now starting to piece together the puzzle with uh, like biomedical science um in in chinese medicine um anxiety is um seen as a liver disturbance um and we must remember that the liver is part of the um, digestive tract um and the liver's job uh you know is to um clear breakdown products um, and toxins in the body um, and you know if the body's not doing that then you know the body can get a drunk like syndrome um, of that could man- uh, manifest as um, stress and anxiety and behavioral problems um, so these links are, are getting stronger this is fascinating because this is obviously something that we as trainers are trying like this- as trainers and behaviorists like there's training for the sit and stay and then there's so much of what we do is trying to alter the emotional state of the animal mm-hmm. and this is why uh i i've believed for a long time that we can only help so much the vet can help a hell of a lot and management helps a hell of a lot so th- there's three factors at play there and we have to work as a team this is why if, if i will often refer to a vet and hey look i just i need you to actually see it as more than just a naughty dog like it's yeah. it's not being naughty there are there are every single thing that this behavior this dog is displaying is a symptom of something and whether that is um you know a behavior that is learnt or whether it's something going on in the body is so much more to consider um than the dog being bloody naughty like people people's perception around that is just seems to be wide off the mark and um you know me and you have had many conversations about um uh the whole dominant thing and i'm not going to go into it today but i feel like this is why i love these conversations because yeah. it opens up people's perception and just mm-hmm. lets them actually go oh yeah shit there's actually heaps going on in the background it's not just him being a brat i think because they can't talk to us either i think mm. that's the most difficult thing too people overlook it yeah well, they can talk to us yeah. though they just yeah. talk yeah. in, different just in a different yeah um, <laughs> but yes i agree um but you know digestive digestive function uh the, the, if, if that's not working properly they can definitely talk to us Absolutely. and you can yeah. see signs of that for sure oh yeah like the amount of times where i've sat down in the client's house and its digestive function is definitely chatting to me because i can smell it yeah 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 absolutely yeah absolutely um yeah flatulence for example is is not really normal no um it's it's a sign that the gut needs work like the the big signs that the guts need work is uh like generally if a dog's doing more than uh two bowel motions per day um We'll, we'll, you know, we'll just talk a bit about um, uh, dog bowel motions and then yeah. we'll move on. No, we need to. Uh, we'll we need to. We'll just do this. that all in, in, <laughs> in one minute and then move on. Um, uh, you know, if they're, if they're doing multiple stools per day, um, uh, more than two bowel motions per day on average, it normally is a sign that they're not digesting their food properly, the diet's not working for them. Um, if, uh, if a pet has had a bunch of ear infections, um, has skin disease, um, has had anal gland sacculitis, um, has had pancreatitis, 
um, has had seizures even, and that this is, you know, a new concept as well. But I also think that seizures and anxiety, I think, are also linked um, in the brain. That's that's there's more research there. That's just a hypothesis that I'm throwing out there. Um, that uh, the 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 diet needs some some uh, attention. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, um, flatulence, um, vomiting. Um, you know, there's a study. You know, it's it's not about dogs, but you know, there's a study in cats that cats that um, vomit more than once every three months, um, including furballs. Um, if a cat brings up a furball every um, more frequently than every three months, 96% of them will have um, uh, signs of signs of IBS or irritable wow. bowel syndrome on on um, biopsy. So, like, definitively diagnose IBS. Um, so, uh, and that's pretty. People kind of accept that. Oh, yeah, but that's normal for cats to bring it's up furballs. Rebel, it's yeah. not. They shouldn't. They should. They maybe. If they're if they're long for maybe once every six months or more like a year. So in pets, again, when we go back to like what's normal, um, we're looking at a population of pets that um, probably gone a bit off stray in what the average um, pet guardian is feeding their pets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. I mean, we've already said it, but I think a lot of us have actually so used to seeing stressed out pets that we've normalised it. Mm-hmm. And um, and you know it's. Uh, it's not a, it's it can be so much better and owning a pet is not is not it's not a cheap thing to do oh, um no. and if if we actually start to look at this as um on the whole it improves the quality of life for the animal it improves the quality of life as for the pet guardian and mm-hmm. everybody wins by actually looking at the health um People don't probably don't even do it enough for themselves. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean comparing compu- comparing to how people look after themselves, and this is something that with the whole you know put your oxygen mask on first thing, and you know even last year for November when we talked about you know the the mental health of of a caregiver, um, you know which. Uh, uh, we have to focus on that in our professions um, and and certainly pet guardians, particularly when there's so much. Um, the you know that whole instagram mentality of how like the perfection that a dog has to have um or that someone has to have based on what they read on the internet and yeah uh, so i think it's that's that's a a huge area um another interesting area that i'm looking forward to sort of seeing research come and this research will come because this area like microbiome like last week was world microbiome day so big shout out to that um you know uh it's this might blow your mind, um, Love but it. it's probably dogs and humans in the same household probably start sharing and exchanging the microbiomes, and they probably start having um, okay. the microbiomes of each other. Um, and you know, we know uh, that with children, um, you know, having a dog in the household reduces risk of asthma. Um, that probably, in, in my um, you know uh, humble opinion, <laughs> may have something to do with the microbiome. Um, you know, we. The microbiome, uh, you know, it's it's such a driver of um, of health, way beyond just um, emotional. Um, yeah. You know, uh, cancers, you know, emerging as um, uh, as something that can happen with a um, a microbiome that's producing a lot of stress hormones in, in the body and um, inflammatory mediators, and um, you know, uh, certainly the 
um, the whole uh, emerging kind of peanut allergy and the back of all the food allergies, uh, sensitivities and intolerances that have emerged, um, which is another thing that needs to be looked at with, with and particularly with the gut-brain-skin access, that's another thing that needs to be looked at with um, dogs that have behavioural problems. Like if, they, if they've had a history of knowing that a food, you know, that if there's one food that um, that doesn't agree with them and people sort of sense that there's likely to be others um, and it needs needs some more thought generally yeah, it's not it's not it's not likely that oh it's only allergic to chicken yeah and that is all yeah and so with <laughs> that the one, isn't it? like yeah um well interestingly i think that's changing um mm. yeah. you know there's uh, it's changing with what people are feeding their pets but um where i was going with that is um you know, a symbiotic or probiotic therapy for um, for the treatment or desensitization of kids with uh, uh, bad, like uh, intense allergies. Um, probiotics, particularly in Sydney, is um, with some of the research institutes here, is 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 quite world leading in the use of um, prebiotic fibers and and probiotics and um, and other manipulation of the gut microbiome for improved. Um, uh, response to um, exposure to allergens. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And I mean, you've said to me a, a number of times uh, how difficult it is to treat uh, skin conditions in, in the pets. It's, yeah, it's, it uh, is. It's, um, and if we can, and if we can start, you know, I'm sure this definitely affects you more than me, but th- this, that sort of thing, if that sort of research comes out to improve those things on allergens, and again, that's a massive thing to improve the quality of life for our pets. Because, mm. um I mean, uh, uh, this this is just a theory of mine, but I mean, so many of our pet dogs that we've got are not bred in this continent, and they come from Europe and America and you know and Asia. And um, I just uh, in Australia, I do see so many more skin problems than I did back in England. Is there a, is there a relationship between dogs and the and the fauna and everything in this country? Is it? Is it's it impacting p- potential i i think that the other um uh other factor that might cloud that um and usually things are multifactorial i've learned mm. the longer i've been a vet the, the, i've learned the less that we actually know so i'm always like uh, this is <laughs> definitely a gray area um no i think that particularly with us living in sydney um it's a little bit more tropical than the uk if you've noticed yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're here uh, right yeah, i was gonna say it's definitely one here um and so uh, no, I think uh, there's multiple factors. I, I think that um, unfortunately our pets are slightly allergic to Sydney. Um, yeah. yeah. Just with the weather conditions, like the humidity um, uh, and the fact that, you know, one of the great things about this city is that we live it with so much amazing green space, but there are some pretty noxious um, plants that dogs react to in Sydney. So, um, yeah, uh, in, uh, you know, it's an amazing hypothesis that, you know, do does the gut microbiome of you know where the species is make a difference probably i mean you know uh, there's research um well i don't know how high level re- the research is but you know there's um hypothesis and speculation that different um mineral ratios in the body from different countries affect how um countries um behave on a global yeah, platform wow. like you know if a country's got more magnesium in their um in their, f- their food chain um they you know may not want to go to war as quickly like it's it's pretty yeah. big level yeah. stuff so the the microbiome is you know uh, and and uh, certainly a lot of the like i said the work in sydney the research that's done is based on um looking at 
um, uh, populations of, of um, the Bushmen in, in Botswana um, uh, or, or maybe Namibia, but there's a lot of research um, in southern and eastern Africa um, with regards to um, how the uh, ancient microbiomes um, improve health. Um, and so, yeah, we do see um, that different uh, populations of people carry different microbiomes. And, you know, I think it's from what we've talked about, I think that it would definitely be a contributing factor um, that, uh, that needs to have some mindfulness about its place. Yeah, and that's it. I mean, that's such a, if we can start to really look at that as a, the way we feed our dogs can affect so many, uh, them on so many different levels. It's just, uh, I can, I've said it a few times, but it just improves the quality of life. And Yeah, it, the win-win from it. I mean, uh, I think that um, rewinding a little bit when you talked about the, you know, the expense of having a pet um, and budgeting for that, and I'm a massive advocate of pet insurance. Um, uh, just like, you know, it, other insurances that people have, um, the hope is that you never need to use the insurance. Um, so, but pet insurance is one of the most used insurance people have. Um, and certainly uh, with my background actually was in emergency medicine. Well, originally, so when I was, when I finished uni, I did a um, year long research project and dissertation into, um, you wouldn't believe, the uh, microbiome um, <laughs> no. of pets and, and uh, the microbiome of animals and how it affects um, their health. Um, but I didn't really go into emotional um, uh, health at that stage, it was more physical. Um, but uh, then, you know, I did quite a lot of emergency work um, and and you know had to deal with some pretty uh, traumatic um, experiences for pet guardians at two o'clock in the morning and you know over weekends and and what I realized is when we talk about both cost and you know financial cost and emotional cost and um, avoiding drama mm-hmm. um, upstream preventative medicine and you know I, I think that we struggle to find people that won't you know support um, the place of uh, nutrition being the foundation of health. I mean, that's a, you know, someone, uh, you know, really wants to argue that there's no scientific evidence for that, which, you know, often there's a difference between scientific evidence and people's, you know, gut feeling or sense is that I think nutrition is important. Um, and with nutrition, uh, you know, we need to feed them anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, and... Um, what why i've moved to integrative medicine and wellness medicine was i was sick of seeing the same dramas um you know night after night in emergency um i worked in a big emergency hospital in london um and i did emergency work in regional australia before i moved to uh, sydney um there's a lot of problems that i and i think and also with uh, livestock um i wish that i could talk to someone about the health of their animal, um, particularly their nutrition, at 10 o'clock in the morning um, in a consult room that they've been booked in to discuss the future health risks of their pet. The fact that there's no osteoarthritic strategy and the dog's three and a, a large breed dog, there's nothing in place. Um, there's, uh, I wish that I could talk to people, well, I wish I could talk to people before they got their pet Mm-hmm. Ideally, I'd like to do nutritional counselling about, uh, you know, the nutrition of the mother of, of a pet, um, you know, which is problematic with because I support rescues. Um, because we also know that um, in, in the scientific literature that the um, 
the amount of omega-3 DHA that the mother's had during her pregnancy will affect their, um, the health, the mental health of the puppy. Um, and also that, um, you know, a mother that's not uh, fed a natu- any, uh, like a completely processed diet during her pregnancy and lactation, those puppies will have an increased lifetime risk of um, canine atopic dis- uh, dermatitis. And this is a study in West Highland Terriers, which are a, a high um, predilecting breed for ATP, which is, you know, sk- the main skin itch problem that we see, um, that the, the nutrition of the mother affects the puppy's lifetime um, risk of that. Um, and, you know, I, I'd say that the microbiome again has something to do with that. Yeah, of course. Um, and I think the big thing there is looking at it um, uh, proactively, preventive, pre- uh, preventative care. Yeah. Um, I've always said this, that nobody calls us when it's going well, but I wish they would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I love about puppy school and, um, and early intervention and, um, you know, with... Uh, at an adolescent check um, for a puppy, you know, behavioral screening. And um, that's something that we try and achieve, uh, particularly in our practice. Yeah. Um, and because we, we try and be very fear-free in our practice and we have ample opportunities early on to identify these puppies really reactive, like, you know, want to try and do like a, a you know, a, a, a blood test on a, a young dog. And if that doesn't work, then I'd say mm, that that's a, early sign and um, I think it's important that at the end of a puppy school session that people you know go to the facilitator and say you know with all love and respect can you please tell me if my pet has uh, you know uh, needs some more work we um I mean we we actually teach puppy school in Matt's Matt's hospital and um what we've learned like over the long time doing puppy school now is we can we can pick it really yeah. early yeah. we can see it so early and it's a difficult time because people are so excited to get their puppy they all they're thinking is this is going to be amazing this is going to be the best thing in my life and and it, it's a difficult conversation to have to sit them down and go hey just so you know um we're picking this up like then we're not we can't guarantee anything but we just want to give you some preventative care advice um around whatever we we see whether it's hypervigilance whether it's um unsettled whether it's a health issue with the skin um it is it is difficult conversation to have with these individuals but at the same time if we don't we're not doing our jobs very well yeah and i think puppy school is very overlooked people just go oh puppy school i don't need it the dogs just play blah 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 come in teach them how to sit let them run around yeah it's so much more than that and i think always the first session everyone leaves going okay I did not expect that's what puppy school yeah. was going to be like, but I'm happy. I learned a lot. Yeah. yeah it's not they, just about play. They yeah. don't sit down and they, they, like you say, they expect the dogs to play and then all of a sudden we engage them instead of their dogs. And they, you can see the look on their face. They did yeah. not They did not see it coming. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, uh, we have a responsibility to um, educate people. Like it's, uh, you know, um, a big part of changing um you know how how uh, animal management happens and you know how we can you know genuinely you know pet really establish pets as family members um and um and deliver the the appropriate health care both um you know mental well-being and um and physical health and obviously the links that we've talked about um to me it's just an area that um is a no-brainer um 
it saves a lot of drama, saves a lot of time and money later down the track. It really yeah, does. Definitely. It really yeah. does. And probably more time and emotional costs than the money itself, really. I think that's the big thing that I see um, is that, you know, no one really wanted to get a problem pet. No, no. no. You know, get a dog to make themselves and their dog happy. Mm. And yeah. um, that, those, that first... Uh, few months you know for ongoing of course but that, that those initial stages is really about getting to know the individual you've just brought into your life yeah and um you know listening to them listening to their body listening to how they're responding and an education around it and that's what we try and do in our puppy school and you try and do in your practice and it's really just trying to give them the tools to be able to listen to their dog so that people can then help yeah and uh and take that on and can we just talk about your practice because i've actually sat in on one of your consultations and i just want you to go through the process about how someone books in because i find it really interesting when i came into your practice there's no metal table in the middle of the room it's kind of like a couch and you sit down and the dog has some toys and i really like the way that um yeah it's the consults done like that yeah, I mean, yeah, so the process generally is, um, it's normally a second opinion. Um, we definitely, um, the earlier the better. I, yeah. I ideally would like to see a family before they get a pet so we can talk. And we do offer pre, um, pre-selection pre consultation. Oh, so that's, you know, that's the, the best uh, thing. So I'd encourage anyone that's thinking about getting a pet. I'm sure this, like you guys feel the same. Oh, uh, that if you could talk to people about decisions making, um, uh, decision making around, you know, the best pet for their lifestyle, you know, that that's awesome. Um, but generally what we do... Um, yeah, the we see mostly second opinions. Um, there's a lot of um, groundwork um, that we do before we even meet. Um, uh, we like to re- read through, and this is again where I see um, like patterns. It's really clear when you know I sit down and I read through medical records from the problem that gets presented to me, um, and. You know, someone might book in and you know want to want a holistic approach to um, their pet's anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder, or um, a holistic approach to um, separation anxiety. Um, so what what I have the opportunity, and it's it's really amazing that I have this opportunity, is that I sit down and I request all the medical records. Um, and and uh, if people are like oh look it's just actually about the anxiety um you know that we didn't really have many other health problems that the other vets are you know okay fine that's fine but i actually want to see that because i want to see if i can go back through and so normally i get you know the reason that people are coming and then i read back all the way to the the time that they um, adopted the the pet uh, it's interesting reading um uh, i've uh, seen, but I see a lot of patterns, a yeah. lot of pattern recognition, um, and it's all about, you know, the, normally gut, brain, skin um, is the the main pattern that happens all the time. So, so we we uh, you know read, review, um, start thinking about you know our approach, um, our consultations. Like we we deliver, um, like we allocate an, an extended consultation 
Um, for multiple reasons, A, because once we start talking and start delving deep into partic particularly the root cause of pets' problems, factor in, you know, whether or not we have to change the diet, 99% of the time we have to do some dietary modifications. Talk about what people's comfort levels are with different modalities, acupuncture, Chinese herbal medicine, Western herbalism, um, uh, physical therapy, um, you know, uh, discuss the fact that, okay, you're here for anxiety, but those teeth need addressing because that dog is going to be stressed um, with that smell in its mouth yeah. um, and its immune system is going to be fatigued. So we sit down and we really unpack uh, what has happened to that point. Um, meanwhile, uh, the talking process, um, you know, I sometimes don't even touch the pet for the first 45 yeah. minutes. Um, they're asleep. Yep. Uh, you know, they're asleep on our, you know, magnetic beds or, you know, playing with the toys. And, you know, uh, we have, uh, you know, a lot of different kind of enrichment and calming aids that we use. We use a lot of like aromatherapy um, in the rooms, um, the beds. Uh, yeah, we don't do the, the metal table thing. Um, we, uh, you know, we want, we try and do fear-free medicine. Often I tap out of a consult and say, actually, I'm not doing any more with the pet today. I'm like, definitely not giving that pet an injection today because, you know, I want, I mean, I can if you want me to, but I don't want your vet to become, your pet to become vet phobic right now because um, that will be counterproductive uh, to its coming. If a, a pet's scared of the vets and, you know, and they need a vet at those times when they have those health hiccups, you know, across their lifetime, um, uh, we want resilience. We don't want a pet being, uh, scared we're somewhere where it needs to heal um, yep. or help have help with healing um, so then we sort of go through everything um, it's often a lot to take in um, more and more I need to remind people to bring note notepads yeah. and, <laughs> and paper um, and then what we do is we you know assess the pet holistically and with that I mean like we do a conventional um, clinical exam um, think about you know what diagnostic tests might need to be done in convention in a conventional sense uh, and then we do some uh, eastern medicine um, diagnosis which is a tongue and pulse diagnosis um, which is pertinent to making decisions about chinese herbal medicine and, and acupuncture um, and then with that normally what we do is we uh, actually go away reflect sometimes I'll talk to someone for an hour, might spill over into an hour and a half, and I might actually at the end say, I don't know what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, I'll get back to you in a week. Um, and then what we try and do is, um, you know, take all the information that we got from the family, hear what the family wants with regards to, like, what modalities they're comfortable with, um, you know, what, uh, what commitments um, to coming back to our practice they're comfortable with, um, you know, how much... Uh, you know, what the healthcare team is going to look like for their pet. Um, you know, a local um, a GP practitioner um, us offering a, a layer of holistic medicine on top. Um, do I need to refer to a special, like a particular conventional specialist in a, for a particular problem to get more opinions? Um, so, we, you know, go through all of that and then we come up with an integrative care plan, um, which is a, a document that really... You know, I look at it for anyone that's, you know, businessly minded, like it's the business plan for the pet's life. Um, it's a working document, um, a care plan that we edit and, and keep working with, with over the pet's lifetime. Um, and we put that on paper because from, you know, studies show that people um, can't remember much. Um, and we shouldn't. <laughs> like, you know, with organisational psychology, we should, you know, use the tools at our disposal. And, yeah. you know, a great technology is, um, you know, pen and paper, um, but yeah, normally we email across an integrative care plan with lots of links. People can do as much homework, homework as they want. 
you know, the internet is amazing. Like I use the internet every day, um, obviously. I mean, pretty much everyone that's listening to this would, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> You're listening to it on the internet. <laughs> um, that, uh, you know, there's definitely, you can definitely get misguided and uh, on the internet, but um, the reality is there's great information on the internet. Um, just need to give people a helping hand. So that's, um, that's what a consult, you know, that's what it takes. Um, uh, I love it. I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't practice any other way now. Um, uh, but they're a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, that's great because, you know, a lot of work is, you know, f- fulfilling and rewarding. Um, but, uh, it can be difficult to do that for every pet. And I certainly can't see every pet in Australia or, you know, every pet around the world. So that's why everything that we're educating people in our practice and coming up with recommendations that meet that individual pet for that individual lifestyle, um, you know, we need to do um, awareness and education around that. Um, And particularly with upstream preventative medicine and discussing topics like, you know, nutrition, um, um, preventative mental health. Here are two big ticket items that mean that there's more uh, room and more energy that can be dedicated to pets that haven't been so fortunate fortunate to have such a great start um and and that's why you know there's only so many pets a vet can handle in you know in a year um um, it's time it's a professional time basis that's using a vet and um and all the other allied health professionals which includes uh, trainers behaviorists and you know um even groomers, um, you know, yeah. uh, you know, to help. Like it's a really a team-based approach, uh, to, and because we've got finite time, um, you know, we really need to be more strategic with how we use our time. That's right. Yeah, yeah. and that's where I love this um, trying to reach a wider audience thing comes in because the more people that are even aware of this sort of, I, I do feel that a lot of people won't have even considered this before hearing yeah. this today. Definitely. And um, uh, this is where hopefully just if we impact uh, a few people, and I'm sure it'll be more than a few, but um, through through this podcast and this uh, getting guests like Matt in, um, then we really are hopefully making a real difference to, to pet ownership. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it, um, it, it, it doesn't take a lot to make a difference and, um, and you know, Pet, pet guardianship uh, generally and, you know, generally deep down, most people are animal lovers. <laughs> it's pretty hard not to. Yeah. Um, maybe people have, and certainly Sir David Attenborough talks a lot about this, about people have lose, lost touch with nature. Mm. And I think pet, um, like natural management of pets is a great way to really reconnect with the natural world, um, for sure, um, particularly in an urban environment. Um, and uh, when we look at, uh, you know, how we can make a difference. Um, people uh, who are um, animal lovers can be advocates for, for change in healthcare to a wider audience. Um, you know, the some of the um, social media groups that I've watched on the internet um, about that are driven by pet guardians are amazing wealths of knowledge. Um, they're often a bit misguided and um, may not uh, really appreciate the fact that you know of statistically significant population sizes to make comments like if something worked for one dog doesn't mean it's going to work for every dog and so it can be a bit clouded 
and misguided but you know we live in the age where we need like social media 2.0 where we need to actually say all right we can we can all have a conversation um we can rapidly peer share um Mm. good information um we can you know help each other navigate um uh, misguided information um and uh, you know um this means that um uh, by sharing um you know, uh, information um, and screening information and being open-minded um, and being a little sceptical, um, which, you know, even me as an integrative vet, you know, I'm sceptical of, you know, a lot of natural therapies I'm, I'm sceptical of, I have to be. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, we can, you know, change is happening. Like the, you know, social media, um, you know, was probably initially very... Um, focused on oneself um but like from a com- like a sense of community and making change like we can you know we can change this it's changing you absolutely know? um nutrition like you know pet nutrition is a hot topic on social media oh yes yeah you know it's not that people aren't talking about it it's about just going okay all right we're talking about it uh what are we going to talk about next like what's next where's you know what do we need to do yeah where do the details lie in this mm-hmm. so, yeah it's really good. Uh, I also understand that you have a pet food company called Lyca. Yeah, um, so I've co-founded Lyca Pet Food. Um, I did this um, because, like I said, there's only so much I can do as a vet hospital. Like I said. <laughs> L-Y-K-A um, to L-Y-K-A. everyone. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I needed to, you know, it's, I've been a vet for nearly a decade Um there is only so many people that I can see in a yeah. week. Um, and Need to clone you. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the artificial intelligence, that we're being cloned, um, <laughs> you know. Um, so what I really needed to do was, you know, work with passionate people who see the need for things. And um, Anna, who I've co-founded Leica with, um, you know, Leica is born out of, her own dog called Lyca and her um, need to find um, the right food for her. Um, and, you know, from that it's grown. Um, so, yeah, Lyca's um, a natural uh, natural feeding um, diet regime. Um, it's, it's made in a commercial kitchen, um, a human-grade kitchen, um, and it uh, it's meets the guidelines for um, good health um, from um, Gregor, uh, Olgivi, who did a lot of research in anti-cancer diets, um, you know, it's, um, it's, you know, it doesn't have that claim um, that it is anti-cancer, but certainly we make um, a food that is free from a bunch of things um, and full of a bunch of things. So, you know, the, the diets are um, higher protein, high omega-3 fats, um, a lot of uh, antioxidant-rich foods, a lot of bioactive or, you know, what people might term superfoods, um, and free from high glycemic index carbs. That's a big one. Um, we don't want dogs having these high-carb diets because it, it does translate to sugar in the, in the liver and bloodstream of a dog. Um, we think that, uh, you know, it affects mood. But more importantly... Um, than what we think about uh, carbs affecting mood. There's studies from the University of Helsinki in Finland that look at um, the levels of uh, pro-inflammatory markers in in the body of dogs um, that are fed uh, highly processed diets um, versus dogs that are fed natural diets, um, and they're less inflamed. Um, And and 
bringing down inflammation is a good thing um, yeah. in the body. Um, uh, in, uh, sensitizing the body to insulin is a good thing. Um, and we know that high glycemic index carbs, um, just like they do in humans, um, are, are driving uh, uh, dysfunction of the circulation in the body and, and through insulin uh, resistance and um, high blood sugar spikes after eating. So we've put together um, a range, um, but then on top of that, we're actually uh, not only making decisions about what we're feeding dogs based on their weight, um, but we're actually using technology, using um, algorithm um, algorithms to develop um, uh, personalized recipes for pets uh, for what they need based on their health challenges um, and their their lifestyle um, and their risk factors for health challenges. So um, Lyca's uh, made to made for the pet. Um, it's delivered um, as a frozen um, a frozen food. Uh, it's, it's slightly cooked, some ingredients are raw. Um, and it's complete and balanced to FEDIAF, which is the European standards for pet food. Uh, it's really important, and this is something that I think is important that when we talk about things like fish oil um, earlier on, um, the, the whole complete and balanced criteria for pet food is just a, a launching platform for health. It's the bare minimums that they need, um, and they're bare minimums on industrial levels um, and uh, may not take into account the optimal nutrient requirements for pets. It's just the bare minimums. Um, so, you know, what we're trying to achieve is um, using uh, foods and, and avoiding the use of synthetic vitamins um, and, and minerals and refined minerals. We're using whole food, uh, nutrient-dense foods. Um, and this is really reflecting and is born out of what um, myself and my colleagues do in our holistic practice or integrative practice and other integrative vets do on a daily basis is you know look at the pet look at what they need and replicate a lot of the the good things that are happening in processed foods like don't get me wrong like some of the leading players in the pet food industry have created amazing research like that gregor olgevi who did the research for the hills nd food which is the anti-cancer hills diet which is that research is nearly 10 years old um that that says that you know low carbs has a place for treating dogs with cancer um you know that that research is not really widely known um but you know the so if if you know if a vet's saying that oh your dog's got malignant cancer and diet doesn't matter now that that's you know there's that's uh, outdated information yeah. um and you know uh, shout out to all the vets out there on that point that you know uh we're now faced with an exponential exponential growth of um of scientific literature on the internet um you cannot stay on top of everything um there's going to be some key research that gets gets through um through the goalposts um so people need to um you know uh, remember that vets are humans uh, and we're not robots um, and that we can't stay on top of everything. What we can do is problem solve. That's what we learned. That's the main thing that we learned at university was to problem solve um, and, you know, using um, uh, literature databases is part of that problem solving. So with Leica, you know, Leica was, you know, one way that I've been able to say, okay, um, you know, this is my experience. This is what I've learned. Uh, this is probably what I'm going to say to you if you come and visit me. Um, yeah. uh, but I need to extend that to a wider population because, you know, I can't 
I can't see a million dogs in my practice. It's a great way um, of reaching a massive yeah. Uh, yeah. population of animals yeah. and pet owners. Yeah, and you know, integrating brain power into products and into systems mm. um, is is super important. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and understand you've got a, a, a and on top of all of that, on top of all natural vet care, on top of everything you're doing in terms of your own study uh, and Leica, you've got a, a range of other products as well. Yep. Yep. So, um, <laughs> busy man. Yeah. Um, look, it's, it's, um, uh, it's a flow state thing. Like I'm, you know, in my flow when I'm trying to solve these problems, um, and I figure the energy that I'm putting in now, um, is, you know, just my contribution to my industry and my contribution to, um, the health of the planet, I would say, um, cause it, it can tie in. Um, but what I'm looking at doing um, is working with some key partners um, and actually developing a, a system of, of products, herbal medicine products and nutraceutical products um, that, uh, that aim to address um, a lot of health concerns um, using some, a lot of the, um, the regular herbs and supplements and strategies that we use in clinic um, and really helping um, uh, give other vets um, and people who are looking for solutions to problems that can be quite tricky to manage, um, particularly problems that are tricky to manage without the use of um, drugs with uh, big side effect profiles and um, uh, using uh, using information um, alongside um, products and actually delivering a system that other vets can use and navigate um, with uh, you know summaries of the science that we use so develop 10 um, 10 products I'm just trying to get that organized to get onto the market um, but they're 10 products that treat a bunch of um, uh, health problems um, uh, based on emerging clinical evidence um, we need more research um, but the, and I'm trying to get funding um, from some research institutes to start doing some clinical trials and then a couple of products um, that are actually health protective um, uh, using herb supplements that are often limited in diets and, and supplements that can, you know, take nutrition above and beyond um, and people can elect to put, uh, uh, you know, uh, add those to pets um, diet uh, to prevent more, uh, more risk problems if, if it's deemed necessary. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a big project. And again, it's it's um, a using technology and AI and systems that, you know, that can really help make decisions that uh, that uh, I make in, in clinic um, and that uh, the holistic practitioners and herbalists before me right through to traditional times have, you know, been saying and using, but actually present it in a way that um, gets wide, mainstream support um, from the, you know, the veterinary community and the animal health uh, community um, to do this. And, you know, in India, um, which I'm quite interested in, India have a, they have a ministry for Ayurvedic herbal medicine in the government, like it's a, a cabinet, oh, wow. um, you know, and they've got this huge strategy for 2000, like, uh, 2033, um, uh, up until that year. Um, and they're highly motivated to take herbal medicine around the world and to actually have a universal healthcare system for India. So, you know, multiple billion um, uh, person country, um, you know, they have, uh, they, they use, recognize that herbal medicine has a place, like 80% of the world use herbal medicine. Like mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a, you know, the World Health Organization has a whole strategy on using traditional medicine. Um, Chinese herbal medicine won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2015 for an anti-malarial um, effect. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's really, 
uh, an untapped resource. Um, and so when we look at that, um, you know, herbal medicine um, has a place for both animals and peoples. People, not peoples. <laughs> Lots of um, peoples. <laughs> heaps of peoples. Um, and uh, with that, what, you know, what we need to do, like more research, um, you know, dogs are, have been demonstrated to be great, um, uh, great models for research, for human research, particularly um, with cancer care. Um, and what that means is that, you know, the products that I'm trying to get to market um, I'm looking at getting funding from uh, Indian um, Indian businesses and uh, even the Indian government um, is elevating the status of key herbs that are used traditionally and a lot of a lot of herbalists both veterinary and human would be would think that yeah these are no-brainers and people are using them um, there, there's emerging evidence there's like a lot of clinical evidence for for certain natural products um, Coriolis mushrooms for canine hemangiosarcoma is a, a big one that's come out recently um, it uh, you know allows us to use these products for pets and benefit pets but the great kind of side win um, is that um, treating pets real time um, and collecting um, clinical data to support their use um, which is easily facilitated by the internet um, means that we can actually build on the research for human health and human disease Wow. And the other thing is that herbal medicine um, is, you know, those plants are putting oxygen into the environment. Like, you know, it's part of, it can be part of reforestation. It can be part of like food forests and, you know, it can help solve environmental problems in the world. It goes down real deep and a mm -hmm. huge level, um, which is absolutely fascinating. And um, <laughs> I can't wait for, I mean, I've known you for a couple of years now and uh, it's been, it's been brilliant from the moment i've met you um working alongside you and uh you know learning so much from you as well um and i can't wait to and see you oh, thank you um and uh yeah these, these products that you've got coming out i can't actually wait i mean i know they're they've been a little, you put a lot of time and a lot of energy uh into seven them. years just a little while <laughs> um <laughs> and um lastly the last thing i'm going to bring up is uh just uh and another amazing thing you do is uh, Planet Decent. Um, just give us a very quick, uh, uh, we are definitely going to have to wrap it up pretty soon, but it would be great to just learn. If people, more people are aware of Planet Decent, then that would be fantastic. Well, thank you. Yeah, so Planet Decent, my other major passion in, in veterinary medicine is conservation medicine. I'm actually starting a master's in animal conservation medicine um, next year. I wasn't busy enough. Um, I know. <laughs> I feel lazy now. <laughs> Um, I do actually sleep, but I do drink quite a bit of coffee, um, which I need to watch. Um, and Planet Decent is a um, conservation think tank. Um, it's really designed to be about raising a conversation for how people can um, really get involved with animal uh, conservation. Um, the main thing that I'm doing at the moment is trying to set up a, um, a social responsibility uh, vehicle for vets um, and it'll be piloted in all natural vet care um, where people can uh, um, donate with a tap and go system and maybe some other systems um, for uh, supporting pets wild cousins. Um, our ambassador species are the clouded leopard in um, Southeast Asia. Um, and the African wild dog in Africa, obviously. Um, and what we want to do is actually start saying, all right, um, 
uh, shout out to the animal lovers. Um, you're looking after your pet. That's awesome. Um, if you can spare some some um, some money or you can spare um, some time to discuss with other people, uh, your dog's first cousin, the African wild dog, is critically endangered. Um, your cat's cousin, um, the most uh, ancient um, cat that the, that's uh, still, still around on the on the planet, the clouded leopard, um, which has a had a huge range. Um, its range um, is under threat. The other great thing about the clouded leopard is that it shares the same territory as um, both the Sumatran and Bengal tigers. Mm. So if we focus on actually, um, and, and also um, clouded leopards are um, hunted for their pelts, um, if they, um, if we can focus on the African wild dog and the clouded leopard, because they're huge ranging species and they're predators, um, and you know they're, they're really good indicators for the health, right down to the dung beetles and the grass yeah. um, in these environments. So focusing on that, and that's definitely what uh, the plan is with um, my product range: is that the um, the proceeds and also the um, the key um, farmers and and um, and producers for the herbs will be based on micro-empowerment projects where they're growing herbs to, um, uh, to use, to give them an income um, in areas where um, they're living next to protected areas, particularly um, tigers, clouded leopards, African wild dogs. Wow, so it all ties in. Um, I've, I'm, I, I do work in concept maps and flowcharts and things, so <laughs> I have a concept map. I remember the first day that uh, I met Matt. We sat down for a coffee and... Um, it ended up being, I think it was about six hours. Yeah. It was six it was, hours. We yeah. Ended up, yeah, I remember I spoke to you and you were like, yeah, we just finished up. And I was like, what? No, <laughs> it was so cool. We sat down for a coffee and um, we ended up back in his apartment going through um, these amazing thick folders of information. And I was just like, I need this man in my life. Aww. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's... Um, you know, like I said, I've said it already, but uh, it is so good to work along, alongside you and the passion that you have um, for the planet. I mean, you have so many specific passions, but overall, you have a love of this planet. And um, it, it's just brilliant to be involved. And I'm so bloody happy to have you in here today. Yeah, same. Oh, it's been awesome. Thanks so much for like giving me um, a platform and, you know, an opportunity to talk about this. It's it's really awesome that you guys have put this together. Oh, thank you. Thanks. I mean, it'd be fantastic to have you back in in the future cuz I mean, as much as um, you know, we've gone into so many things today, but I know what goes on in your mind. Well, I don't know what goes on in your mind, but um, I know that we've <laughs> probably much. scratched the surface. Yeah. Um, so it'd be fantastic to have you in, in the future as well. I'd love to be back. Yay, awesome. So that probably wraps us up for today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Um, we will be putting links up um, with everything that we've talked about today, probably some more as well. Yeah, um, my brain is... yeah. I'm about to explode. <laughs> <laughs> so um, please email in your questions. Please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. And um, remember, guys, a healthy dog's a happy dog. Woo. That's right. And that was the podcast.